Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Peace is a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm. Peace is a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm. This idea keeps popping up in the things that I follow online, and it's actually from a book that I haven't read by a man named Robert Kagan. So please don't hear anything in what I say beyond just that line. But peace is a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm. I can't decide what I think of that phrase. Now, of course, it's coming up in the context of uh, Israel and Hamas and the Palestinians and uh, Ukraine and Russia and all of that, but I can't decide what I think of that. Peace is a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm. Now, at the very least, there is some truth in the metaphor. As I've uh, not, uh, not tried to hide in the past, I do not have a green thumb. In fact, I can kill anything but weeds. In fact, I'm almost surprised I can't kill them. <laughs> in every house I've ever lived in, let's just say the garden beds of the previous residents have always gotten the best of me. <laughs> and by always gotten the best of me, I mean like the first spring, a few, a few flowers try their best to bloom. <laughs> but after that, it's fewer and fewer every year. The weeds just grow higher and higher until eventually it's at the point where you just got to take them out and do whatever you can so that it doesn't like hurt the foundation or something if there's a tree growing. You know what I mean? Maybe some of you could identify too. This is my lack of green thumb. So the jungle is the norm makes sense to me. Or how about this? Uh, the, uh, the new uh, construction across the street here, across Kentwell. You know, the, uh, when, they, uh, the, when they started those, they started by digging out the basements, and then they put in the, uh, the walls of the basement, but not the foundation, and then it sat for like a year. And, uh, and every day, I would walk into work and look there, and I would see more and more plants growing in what would eventually be the basements. And I realized that nature was reclaiming the building for the plots. <laughs> and in fact, my joke was that we had our very own sunken gardens, because <laughs> it was in the basements, right? Our, our very own sunken village gardens. <laughs> now, of course, it's much better. But Let's take it even a step further. Have you ever seen a building that really is being reclaimed by nature, like an old barn on a farmland that hasn't been used in ages, and you can see the plants and the uh, nature reclaiming that place where the, barn, uh, the, where the barn stands, or perhaps an old farmhouse. There's an old uh, schoolhouse uh, whenever I drive to my parents' house in Wichita, and you can see that nature is very much reclaiming it. So there's at least truth in the metaphor of peace as a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm. And if you think about it, peace does take effort. It does need to be tended. Relationships take work. If you neglect a marriage, weeds grow in the relationship. Connections begin to weaken. Oh yeah, the flowers bloom the first couple summers, like the houses I've lived in, but if you neglect a marriage too long, well, peace is a garden to be tended, right? If you neglect a friendship, it's the same. We see it with nations, that, uh, that peace is something that has to be worked at and, up, and, and kept up from time to time. And if we neglect any of these relationships, the jungle grows back. 
peace is a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm. But as I've thought about that line, as I've thought about it, something doesn't feel right to me. It's incomplete. Something's missing. Well, right now, uh, for this fall, we are going through the Old Testament, or uh, at least uh, that's the common name for it. Scholars are saying that we should, uh, it's probably better to call it the Hebrew Bible. It's more respectful to our uh, Jewish friends, and there's some other reasons too. So I'm trying to get in the habit myself, even though I just slipped and called it the Old Testament, right? That's what happens. We could at least move the right direction. But we're reading through the Hebrew Bible. Maybe some of these stories you uh, haven't heard uh, ever. Maybe some of these stories you haven't heard since you were a little kid in Sunday school. School or, or, or maybe, you've, uh, maybe you've just never thought about them deeply, and it, it's good to do that. And there's, of course, not, uh, not enough time in the fall, not enough Sundays in the fall to read all of it, but we can at least hit the high points. And today, we get to a key moment in the Hebrew Bible that is uh, so important and has so much to say to our world today, but it's a little bit difficult to read because there's no one passage that says it clearly. And so, Sandy read the scripture for us a few minutes ago go, I will totally forgive you if you could not figure out what was up with that and what was going on, <laughs> because there is no one passage that says it uh, clearly. But the story we're, re- we're at least talking about today is when the Hebrew people, the Israelites, became divided and their kingdom split into two. Leading up to it, they had the great King David. You know, we've heard about him in previous weeks, the son of Jesse. We heard about, uh, we heard about all of this in uh, previous weeks. And King David was a great king, and he united the people. Uh, and it was one of those, uh, it was the glory days, right? Uh, they, uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem was built where uh, people would go to worship, whether they be uh, urban dwellers in the city of Jerusalem or whether they be rural, they would travel in and worship at the, uh, at the temple. But there was an old argument that remained. Why do all the rural people have to go to the city to worship at the temple? Why can't they worship at home? Now, I know this seems a little silly. We have such a good view these days that God is everywhere and in all things. But at this place in the development of God's people, at this stage of God revealing himself to us as humanity, this is the tension that was there. And it very much was an urban versus rural thing. Now, that's a tension that we still have in our world today, urban versus rural, where here, well, here it is in ancient times. And the story that we have before us today is the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, we are after David for a while now. The people are trying to figure out. Basically, every scripture you read from this period has some phrase in it that's like, oh, remember how great things were with King David? You know, never mind the current king. Remember how great things were in the good old days? Nobody today would ever think like that, would they? Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to summarize it here for you rather than read it today because this is one of the the more uh, wandering and rambling stories. What we have is King Rehoboam, who is a new king of, uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of, the, uh, of the part of uh, uh, Israel that includes Jerusalem with the temple. He's a new king, and the people come and say, we would like to stay with you, we would like to serve you, but your, the previous king was very hard on us. If you, would t- if you would promise to take it just a little bit easier, <laughs> then we will serve you. 
And so Rehoboam goes to his advisors, he goes to the old king's advisors, and they say, well, the wise way to do this is to say, yes, of course, I'll be a little easier, and if you're nice to them now, they will serve you for the, uh, for, forever, for all of your reign. And then he goes to the, his younger friends and advisors, and they say, what? No, a good king needs to show power. You need to put them in their place. And Rehoboam chooses the less wise way. He puts them in their place. And what they say is, why should we care about David? Now, David, in this case, is being used not in reference to the actual king, but in terms of the kingdom. Why should we care about the nation and the traditions of David if this is how you're going to treat us? We have no stake in Jesse's son. Go back to your homes, Israel. You better look after your own house now, David. And so it doesn't seem like that big of a decision. It seems like just a small, insignificant story. But that moment marked the time when the people who were in the more rural areas, the people who were uh, in what became known uh, continuing with the name of Israel, said, we're not going to follow that king anymore. We're going to do our own thing instead. Now, not very often, not very long later, they had their own leader, their own king. And their own king took it a step further and set up places for them to worship so they no longer had to go into Jerusalem to worship. I know this is all kind of esoteric stuff, but are you, are you following me at least somewhat? Because I think the point of it is that there wasn't a big battle. There wasn't a big moment where things split. There wasn't, there wasn't a pivotal moment as we usually think of it. If Hollywood produced a movie of this, well, well, they haven't, and here's why. Because there's no big moment. There's no great drama. The time just came when some of the people stopped following, and the kingdom was split into Israel and Judah as they became known. And the modern-day Jews are, of course, descendants of the kingdom of Judah. Individual decisions seem small almost, a straw on the camel's back of neglect. But the bigger story shows relationships that were neglected, shows ties and bonds that took work to uphold, but that work never happened. And so the weeds grew, grew. The people tried to reach out to their king, but the king did not listen. And so the people gave up and they drifted apart. And existing tensions turned into a rift and the kingdom was divided. Peace is a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm. But one of the risks in reading anything, really, but uh, certainly of the Bible, is that if you read only one passage, you miss the larger story. You miss the forest for the trees. And one of the dangers of hearing this story about the, about the people of uh, the, the God's chosen people being divided into two nations, of the rift growing between them, is to think only about that and forget about all of the times that God has walked with them and redeemed them. You know, if you've been coming a lot this fall, you may remember, do you remember what the name Israel translates to? One who struggles with God. The people who struggle with God. It comes from the story of Jacob who wrestled with God, and God dislocates his hip and he walks away with a limp. 
And that is the name of the people, those who struggle with God. And yet, despite the struggle, despite all of their missteps, God continually is there to work with them and to redeem them. And God shows them one painful step at a time that there is nothing they can do that will separate them from God. There is no weed, there is no jungle that can grow that could sever that. Now, it seems to me what we're really talking about here is one of those theology doctrines that has kind of a bad name in today's world, and so I want to say a few words about it. That is original sin. Now, that scares anybody off, so I hope it doesn't scare you off. These people struggle with it. They understand what it really means. This idea of original sin isn't about shame. It isn't about punishment. What it's about is that God is perfect and we are not. And that's something I think we can all agree with. Anyone here ever made a mistake? You don't actually have to raise your hands. I, I know. <laughs> Anybody here marry a perfect spouse? Well, I did. Just in case she's online. I doubt it, but. <laughs> you get the idea, right? Anyone look out at the world and see even a single individual that has it all together? Nah. Uh, whenever we get a glimpse, even into the life of the people in the, in the public eye who seem to have it all together, we realize, no, they don't either. That's what original sin is all about. To err is human. It is in our nature to need grace. It is in our nature to need help. And so, as we wrestle with our own weakness and our own tendencies, well, when we wrestle with our own tendencies, Peace is a garden to be tended, and the jungle is the norm. But just like we can't consider the ancient Israelites apart from the bigger story of God walking with them and their redemption, neither can we consider our own weakness without the bigger story of God's grace for us and God's redemption for us. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what we do here in church. That's what all of it is about. That Jesus came to show us that no matter how much we wrestle, no matter how much we struggle, no matter how much we fall away, no matter how many mistakes we get, we may cause great harm. We may need to do much to make it better and to help things improve. But God will never abandon us. In fact, God will only lean in and come closer no matter what happens. And no matter how bad our suffering gets, the cross shows us that Jesus is there, that God understands it, that God knows it, that God enters into it. And perhaps even more importantly, the empty tomb shows us God's promise to always come back, to always return, and to always bring us to redemption. So in the short term, we really need to do better at tending our gardens. Let's be honest, human weakness is on display. In the Middle East, in Ukraine and Russia, in our politics here at home, human weakness is very much on display. And if we're truly honest, our own lives look a little more like the garden plots outside of the houses I've lived in than we care to admit. But let us not forget 
that we're not the master gardeners. We may be the helpers. We may have responsibility. He may have given us work to do, but God is the master gardener. God is the one who redeems us no matter what happens, no matter what we, how we fail, no matter how we mess things up, no matter how we show our weakness in the meantime. You see, the problem with peace is a garden to be tended, but the jungle is the norm, is that while it's very true for what humans do, it doesn't account for what God can do. It doesn't account for the ways that God works in the middle of it all, the way that God advocates for peace, the way that God brings good even out of the worst suffering in this world. It doesn't account for the fact that God is making all things new. But we are God's helpers. And the way God tends to work is through his helpers through you and me. And that means that we have work to do. So don't forget your hoe and your rake, your kneeling pads, and let's be honest, a few band-aids. <laughs> Maintain your friendships with presence and with grace. Spend time with those you love because that time is a gift. Tend the garden. Use whatever influence you have, and we all have more than we think we do. Use whatever influence you have to promote peace in our community and our world, to tend the garden. And when you slip and you will, look for God's grace, because it will be there. We've got some hard work to do to tend the garden of our peace. We neglect it at our peril because the jungle will grow back. But in the same breath, don't forget that, that the master gardener is there too. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for stories like the dividing of Israel and Judah that make us realize how little in our own lives are new. But thank you that just as we see you working there, so we may see you working here. Give us eyes to see your presence. Give us hearts to feel you in each other and give us the confidence to help you tend this garden that we may be your hands and feet. We pray it in the name of the one who came to show us. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.